The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. We are in chapter 6, and today we're going to be going through verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, we're continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talked about luxuries last Sunday and wealth. And it's a very important topic because it concerns us all. And some people say, well, you know, I don't have money, I don't have wealth. And again, it's not necessarily how much you have, it's how you handle what you have. And then he continues on and you begin in verse 25 and says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for neither they sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of a value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubic of his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what we shall drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So today we're going to talk about worry. And I know maybe this message doesn't apply to you, right? But you can give it to somebody else. Anybody out here worry? Ever worry about anything? Any, raise your hand. Anybody worry? Does anyone never, ever worry? Is there anybody that never worries? No? Gordon? Really? Maybe you should be up here preaching then. <laughs> but we all worry in some ways. It's kind of built into us. So sometimes people think pastors never worry or whatever. You know, we live in this holy glory life, and people ask me if I ever have problems. Only when I'm asleep and I'm awake, you know, do you worry about the economy? Do I worry about the economy? I feel like I walk in economy, you know? My hair is in recession. My belly experiencing inflation. You turn on the news, you're going to go in a great depression. Of course we all worry. But somebody once said, and I like this saying, says worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but never gets you anywhere. Ain't that right? I believe your mama always used to tell that to you all the time. And worry really is being anxious, and it's being double-minded. And again, in James 1.8, it says if you're double-minded, you're unstable in all your ways. It's being pulled apart. Now, what I want us to understand, Jesus did not say, don't think about food, don't think about clothing, don't concern yourself with these. No, you need to concern yourself with these. What he's saying is do not worry. We need to concern ourselves with having a roof over our head, clothes, food, and all those things are important. So Jesus is not saying, do not think about these things. 
But he's not saying we're to live careless, not to consider the future. When Jesus says, therefore, do not worry, that's not what it means. Jesus talked about considering the future. For example, if we look at Luke 14, 31, it speaks of a king who's going to go to war. What has he got to do? He got to figure out if he has a knife to go into the battle. It says, or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whenever he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If we're building something or building a tower, if you look at Luke 20, 14, 28, for which of you intended to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whenever he has enough to finish it. So Jesus is not against those things. He's not against planning. He's not against planning for the future, but he is forbidding here to worry about those things. You see, worry is meant to be controlled by circumstances. So we have a legitimate concern and a legitimate worry, but the thing is, difference between concern is worry, who controls who? You see, when you worry, then worry is in control because it tells you if you're going to sleep at night, if you're going to have a migraine headache, it controls you. But when you have a legitimate concern, you control the concern. So it's who dictates who. Now, there are several things Jesus points out that cause people to worry. We have various things, but here specifically, the first thing I want to look at is money. Anybody worry about money? Well, let me tell you, there's better, bigger things to be worried about. Bills, all right? In Matthew 24, I want to go back to a verse higher. In 624, we talked about some of it last Sunday. I don't remember if you remember or not, because it was kind of a short sermon I heard. But if you look at verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So you cannot put money first. And when you do, when you invest in the wrong treasury, what happens to it? Well, today I want to look at James 5, and first three verses says, Come on now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will witness against you, and you will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Kind of sounds like what he was talking about in those previous verses. Here are people who are collecting money like they're collecting stamps. It's not necessarily the money that's working. He's not talking about the money that's invested or you put in away for your children or the college fund. It's just money to have money for Jesus. I mean, uh, for, for just to have it. Just pile it up. There's no particular need for it or cause for it. You just want to have money. And money, folks, is not a crime. It's not a crime to be rich. It's not a crime to be wealthy or possess many things, as we discussed last Sunday, because sometimes people get the misconception that money is evil, and that's not true, and they say, well, that's what the Bible says. No, if you look at 1 Timothy uh, 6.10, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and we talked about the Pharisees. They were what? Lovers of money, so the money in itself is not evil, and unlike the way William Barclay puts it, about money. He said, money in itself is neither good nor bad. It's simply dangerous in that the love of it may become bad, 
With money, a man can do much good. With money, he can do much evil. With money, man can selfishly serve his own desires. And with money, he can generously answer the cry of his neighbor's need. With money, a man can buy his way to the forbidden things and facilitate the path of wrongdoing. And with money, he can make it easier for someone else to live as God meant him to live. Money brings power, and power is always a double-edged thing. For it's powerful to do good and powerful to do evil. So we can be poor and have love for money. And you can be rich and not have the love for money. But if we're just laying it up, laying it up, it's going to rust away. You're not investing it properly, and you're not even going to get to enjoy it. So now wealth also maybe is not just money. It could be your health, physical strength, your Bible knowledge, your influence. So all those things considered wealth. Now, the unused wealth becomes stagnant, it will rust, and it will harden. And many of us folks, when we're investing in the wrong things, not only it's not going to be used properly as we discussed last Sunday, it'll rust, moth will eat it, and all that kind of stuff, but in reality, you're also robbing God. Now, God gives you the things. He puts you a steward of the things. See, we have everything from him that we have, and then he expects it to be invested properly from the things that he gave us. And when you don't do that, a lot of people self-indulgently spend on themselves, you're robbing God. And if you look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, he says, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? And verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way we have robbed? Tithings, offerings. You see, it doesn't matter, folks, again, how rich or poor it is, how you are, but it's the same sin. Maybe you're holding $100, maybe you're holding a million dollars, or maybe you're holding $1. And how are you using that? Now, sometimes people say, well, I can't give that much. Well, if you can't, God... God knows, and if you can and you don't, God also knows. So it becomes a personal thing. There's not a set amount, but you have to be, you have to be concerned with these things. How are you spending the wealth that you do have? Where are you investing? And a lot of times we are worried about things in financial matters and kind of trying to sustain our own little kingdom. And no, being in finance, really, there's a kind of category three financial things that people usually fall into, and it's, uh, you know, those that the haves, those are doing well. Those that have nots, they're fighting to earn means and things like that, fighting to earn some kind of wealth or income. But most of us fall into this category, those who have not paid for what they have. Anybody fall in that category? We, we have this excessive long-term debt that's a sign of self-indulgence, self-materialism. And that's how we become slaves to it, because we're trying to maintain it. We buy cars we shouldn't buy. We buy houses we shouldn't buy. And I'm telling you, like I said last Sunday, you know, we spend money we don't have to please the people that we don't like, keeping up with the Joneses. 
And we tend to fall or live with this on credit. This is the greatest thing in America, right? Buy now, pay later, credit. And you know there's uh, not a lot of family movies that you can watch these days, but we found one. It's called The Confessions of a Shopaholic. I don't know if anybody's seen that movie. But credit lets anyone start at the bottom and then you fall into a hole, right? Credit cards, shopping stores, just give them that little plastic. And we become slaves to it. And we're becoming more and more relying on it because we're trying to sustain it. And then we say, well, I don't have any money for God. I don't have anything that I can invest in the treasury of heaven. Well, what are you doing to it? And you become more worried and worried, how are you going to pay that credit card? Because now the bill came in and it's 19% interest rate, right? So how are we spending our debt or our wealth that God gives us? And we know we heard a lot of times that people say, you know, you can't take it with you, right? I heard a man, he was dying, and he told his wife, well, I heard that too, but I'm going to try. So when I pass away, I want you to put all my money in the bucket and put it on the attic. So on my way up, now I'm going to try to grab it and take it with me. So she did. You know, after he passed, she went up to the attic. The bucket was still there. He wasn't able to take it with him. And she thought, maybe I should have put it in the basement. Can't take it with you. Oh, you got to slow. Slow this morning. It's all right. It's all right. But, you know, it's not in a PowerPoint, but if you read Job, he says, what's a rich man? He lies down, and then he doesn't get up. That's in Job 27. So we worry about money, but really sometimes if we analyze things, we worry about money is because we're not using it properly. We're not investing it properly. And then we worry about food not having enough to eat. Now, so far in the United States, I don't think that's a problem. But for many people in many places in the world, it's a big worry. And if you read in 25 and 26 verses, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is it not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he then says, look at the birds of the air, for they are neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, yet heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You know, kind of if you think about it, he's there on the hillside. That's why it's called Sermon on the Mount. Probably saw a flock of birds flying by. He said, look at these birds. They look worried to you about food. Have you ever seen a worried bird, like taking a pill of volume, some, taking some depressant pills, going to a coaching session with an owl? I don't know, wise, owls seems wise to me. But look at Job 38.41. This is, again, nothing new that Jesus is reminding him. He says in Job 38.41, who provides food for the raven when its young ones cry to God and wonder about for lack of food? And Psalm 147.9 said, He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. Food is provided by God without worry, without any anxiety. And it says, if God takes care of the bird, wouldn't he take care of you? 
What farmer feeds his chickens, he won't feed his children, right? He's not telling us, folks, that we should not work for food. Again, I want to point that out. God feeds the birds, but God doesn't throw it in their nests, right? Have you ever seen it rain worms? They just open up their mouths. It never rain worms. Birds must go and work. Their early bird gets what? The worm. The Lord's not saying not to work. And Martin Luther said, God wants nothing to do with lazy, gluttonous beliefs. And he says, who neither concerned nor busy, they act if they had just to sit and wait for him to drop a roasted goose into their mouth. That's not going to happen. God feeds. He gives them instinct where to find the food. They go for it. That's why birds migrate in different directions and so forth. So, and what's interesting, it also says they don't store into barns. You know, have you ever seen a barn say, or a bird say, I'm going to build myself a bigger nest, store more food. They're just concerned for that day. They go based on the instinct. So Jesus is not saying here, do nothing, because that's what a lot of people say. Well, God will provide. Well, he gave you strength. He gave you two legs, two arms, right? Go work. He gives you the means, and he will help. So the birds will go out. Some eat vegetations, right? Others eat seeds. Some eat fish. Others hang out at the McDonald's parking lot waiting for you to drop their fries. Pick those up. Ever seen those seagulls at the beaches? They steal your food, steal your lawn chairs. I don't know. I heard sometimes they steal small children. But, but birds will take care of business. They don't worry. And here's the thing God's trying to tell you here. Jesus the birds he takes care of are not made in the image of God. They're not made. No bird was ever made in the image of God. And no bird was designed to be a joint hearer of Jesus Christ throughout eternity. So wouldn't God take care of you? So if God says he'll provide, he'll provide. <laughs> you know, sometimes people ask me, well, well, why don't people have anything to eat then? you know, some countries and so forth. I'll give you two, two brief examples. One we actually sang today. There's a Jewish proverb that says, be grateful to the beggar, he gives you a chance to do good. And didn't we sing today, make me a blessing, make me a blessing to someone today? Well, first it gives you a chance to do good. Second, for example, if you take India, we have plenty of food in, in the world. You know, sometimes there are things such as droughts, and, you know, we see in Bible times when Joseph went to Egypt and so forth. Those are events that are caused by God. But mostly, it's our own doing is the reason people don't have food. For example, you know, a good example is India. It has lots of people, lots of starving people. But if you really analyze it and you take it back... Um, God is not their father, so if he's not your father, he's not obligated to take care of you. And the reason I say that is because they have all these sacred cows walking the street, right? So there's meat. And what do these cows do? They eat up all the grains. Well, you can't touch it. And the grain that they have in the store bins, the mice come in, rodents come eat them. Well, why don't they kill them? Well, because according to the religion, that might be Uncle Sal over there. You can't. And I don't mean it in a funny way. This is serious. So 
their, their reality is 35% of their food gets wasted, just like that. And their religion is the one that destroys them. That's why a lot of people there are hungry. You can't kill a cow. Well, it decides to eat your stuff. You can't do nothing about it because of the way they view things in their religion. So, but it gives us a chance to do good as well. So there's many reasons, but God says he will provide. He will provide for his children. We worry about clothes. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I do not say worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or ignore your body and what you will put on. And again, he says in verse 28 and 29, do not worry about clothing. And he points out lilies in the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. It's interesting that he uses an example as a flower, and then he uses Solomon as a comparison. You see, Solomon was the greatest and the richest and the whitest, wisest person ever live. And this is in Jewish history. They knew who Solomon was, you know, so... Even if you're reading Second Chronicles, I believe in chapter 9, when Queen Sheba came over, and she was so impressed with his buildings and his castles, if you will. And if you read there, it also says, and she was impressed not only with his robes, what he had on, but she was impressed with what his waiters were wearing. People that worked inside the house, it says, and the garments of his cupbearers, his his waiters, and so forth. So he was the richest and had the breast garments, if you will. But Jesus here compares and says, he had no garment with the texture, the brilliance, the beauty as a design of the flower. And yet these flowers don't stress out. They don't worry. Am I going to be purple today? Or am I going to be red today? What they will put on. God will take care of it. He will put the beauty in there. And if God puts these beautiful robes on the flowers that fade, how much more he will take care of you. And again, folks, you know, sometimes comparing biblical times to us times, sometimes people get, well, you know, I'm not worried about clothing. Well, I think it's a little bit different for our time. It's not necessarily, you know, worried about clothing as more it is as, is this in style, right? Is this fashionable, right? That's what we do. Not necessarily, I don't have any clothes. Well, is it more fashionable? Is it Gucci? Is it Louis Vuitton? Well, you know, does this make me look good? Does this, do I look fat? I asked my wife that this morning. No, I didn't. But you're concerned about your appearance. And we're in a culture, really, especially with technology that has all these filters and everything. It can make you look like a supermodel when you're not, you know. We're obsessed with how we look. And folks, again, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think, you know, I'm not talking about being fashionable, but you should look presentable. Iron your shirt, clean you, clean it up, you know. Brush your hair. Well, people say, well, I, don't, I just don't care. Well, we do. We have to look at you, right? So there's nothing wrong with a girl wanting to look cute or nothing wrong with a guy wanting to look good, but when those things become a priority in their life, when you're trying to get the most fashionable 
clothes and so forth. Again, they're not necessarily wrong in itself, but when that becomes a priority, that's when Jesus says it becomes your God. And then another thing we're worried about is prolonging our life. In verse 27, it says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now, that doesn't mean you're going to make yourself taller. It talks about the duration of life. And can worry, anxiety longer your life? It'll be able to shorten it. You know, sometimes we're obsessed with trying to prolong in our life. We exercise regularly, right? We eat the right foods, only organic. And I hope you do all those things. You get rest, vitamins, and proper rest because those things are important, you know. I do 100 crunches a day. Nestle Crunch Bars, you guys have those? Sometimes I use Twix Bars. Very good. But exercise is not useless. But what I'm trying to tell you that, none of those things worrying about prolonging your life, worrying about eating the proper things, those are good things. But none of those things will prolong your life. And the reason I say that is because when God determines... It's time for Cornet to go. Doesn't matter how healthy I am, Cornet's gonna go. But while I'm here to enjoy life, is I am going to exercise. I am going to try to eat healthy. I am going to try to maintain my mind clear and uh, sober, and mind, you know, be soberly minded. So eat a diet. So they are. You you should take care of yourself physically. You should. We don't want to neglect that. So if you look at <clears throat> There's some value in it. If you look at 1 Timothy 4.8, it says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. You see, in the Old Testament, it was obedience that lengthened people's lives. So sometimes we go too far either way. Remember I said the devil doesn't care what side of road he wrecks you on? Sometimes we go too spiritual and we neglect the body, or we to take too much care of our body, and we need that the spiritual, so we can go either way. But we all have a birth date, and we all have a death date, and you don't choose each either one. You can't say anything about them, but you do have a lot to say in that dash in the middle. So that's what we should be concerned about and not worried about prolonging our life. So that's why the Bible teaches us in Psalm 90:12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain heart of wisdom. So we are to live our life carefully, prayerfully, and recognize that worrying will not lengthen your life. We also worry about the future. In verse 34, it says, therefore, do not worry about the future, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is for the day is its own trouble. Now, I don't know what... Bible translation you guys have, but there's a three days the Bible teaches us not to worry about. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And Martin Lord Joyne said, the result of worrying about the future is you are clipping yourself in the present. And another uh, great theologian, I call Charlie Brown of Peanuts Cartoons, you guys know that one? It's, it's, there's a cartoon that says, I've developed a new philosophy I only dread one day at a time. But many of us worry about the future. 
And what he's saying is, you're going to cripple the present worrying about the future. And when tomorrow comes, guess what? God will be there. As a matter of fact, he's already there. So these are the things he kind of points out as general things <clears throat> that we worry about. Well, what's the cost? Again, it hurts you physically. Sometimes people worry themselves to death, create all kinds of health issues, high blood pressure and so forth, so worry hits, hurts you and worry hits other people. Have you ever been around people that would just worry about everything? Just worry, worry, worry. You know, they brighten up the room just by leaving it. Sometimes they've been around those people. Just you don't control it, so why worry about it? If you can control it and there's something you can do, something about it, then do it, right? But worry is not going to do anything. But most importantly, that I want to point out, our worry is an insult to God. It's an insult to God, really. It hurts God. And look at verse 30. Let's go back to verse 30. It says, Now if God so close the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And he says, O oh, you of little faith. Really, little faith is an insult to God. You know, we believe God's going to, how many of you believe you're going to go to heaven when you die? Right? I'm going to go to heaven. How are you going to get to heaven? You trust in God for that, right? We sing good songs about God and there so forth. And, you know, so if you say, speaking and believe, I believe in the authority of the scriptures and all that. And if you speak to, for example, to speak about me, right? You can say all the good things about me all you want. As a matter of fact, I give you permission if you want to. But then you say, but there's just one thing. You can't trust Cornet. You spoke all those good things about me, but there's one thing. You say you can't just trust them. Folks, no matter what else you said about me, you just cut the taproot of my character. We come to worship. We say God is good. God is great. Goodness of God will always follow me, as Judy sang this morning. God is this. God is that. We trust God for our eternal salvation. But then I believe in him, but I don't trust him. How do you think God's reaction to that? And look at 1 John 5.10. And sometimes we miss this when we read this. It says, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. True. He does not believe God has made him a liar. Do you see what worry does? And then if you read Romans 8.28, it says, And we know all things work together for the good for those who love God, and that's his children, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, what does worry say? Worry says, I don't believe that verse. We worry, we believe more in our problems than we believe in God's promises. And if we're truly worried, again, not concerned or legitimate concerns and so forth, but we worry, we're not trusting our Heavenly Father. 
That's why he says, oh, you, a little faith. Worry is an insult to our heavenly Father. Basically, we're saying, God, Father, this is too big for you to handle. You can't handle this. And when we have a little faith, again, we become mastered by our own circumstances instead of mastering them. So if we have little faith, what do we have to do? We have to grow up, have more faith. How do you get more faith? Put your faith into practice, right? Hearing the Word of God, studying the Word of God, and the Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But folks, it's not just hearing. It's paying attention with intention, as I say it. Because James 1.22 says, be, be the doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers. So if God says he'll take care of it, put your face into practice. You're going to be surprised. He will take care of you. Because you say, hey, I refuse to worry. I'm going to put it in God's hands and just let him take care of it. Let God do the worrying for you, right? Some of you listening right now are probably going, blah, blah, blah. Some of you learn how to sleep with your eyes open. But how are you listening to the Word of God? Are you putting that into practice, or would you just come here, say, oh, great music, great sermon, and then we go out the door, don't put anything into practice? Oh, you little faith. And again, he says in 31, 32, do not worry, eating, drinking, wearing, says, all these things Gentiles seek in verse 32. For your heavenly Father knows that you needed all these things. You think God doesn't know that you need clothing, food? I mean, he's the one that made you, right? He knows you need food. But he's saying you're acting like pagans, Gentiles. So we talked about the cause, cost, we hurt ourselves, we hurt us surrounding, most importantly, we insult God. And we briefly touched on this, but what's the cure? Well, if you look at verse 32, it says, For all these things Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Remember we studied the, the prayer, our Father in heaven? You ever think about, we talk about our obligations to God, but if he's our father, have you ever thought he has an obligation to you? When somebody brings a child into this world, right, don't they have an obligation to that child, take care of that child, feed that child? Do you think God is going to be accused of child neglect? Never. God brought us into this world, created you to begin with. He redeemed you. All for what? Just to forsake you? No. Look at Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all, us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God loved us that he sent Jesus, his only son, to die for us. Do you think he has to prove to you anymore of his love? He is your father. And look, in Psalm 27 it says, 
When my father and my mother forsake me, sometimes it's possible when an earthly mother and father can forsake a child. But then says, then the Lord will take care of me. God does not forsake. And we need to put first things first. We need to realize that he is our father. Don't be of little faith. He is your father. Go to him in prayer. And then we need to realign our priorities in life. Are we worried about all those things that we talked about? Life, wealth, food, and so forth, fashion. In verse 33, says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. He didn't say worry about finances, food, life. He says put God first. Make him the focus of your life. In Colossians 3, 2, Paul writes, Set your mind on the things above, not the things on the earth. And the key is to put your heart and your treasure in heaven. And God will take care of the rest, all those earthly things. So what are we more concerned with? You're building up your own little kingdom or God's kingdom? Are we putting all our energy and you know, all our, everything God gave us to, in ourselves? Or the eternal kingdom? And seeking the kingdom means to bring people to Christ. To seek the gospel of the kingdom to be preached. And secondly, I want to put, it says, his righteousness. Seeking his righteousness. And there was plenty of things we can chase in our lives. Money, clothing, wealth, all those things. But if you're going to chase something... Chase his righteousness. Look up Psalm 84, 11. It says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing he will withhold for those who walk uprightly, seeking his righteousness. And sometimes, folks, we also borrow trouble, right? And this is where I get, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't borrow trouble. Prioritize on the things of God, not on this world. He knows you need all those things. Trust in the Lord. But then in verse 8, therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows you need, have a need these things before you ask him. And, you know, sometimes we need to understand that everything even the trouble in the life of a child of God. God has arranged our life in some sort of ecology, if you will, and he sits at the master control. Now, he's the one that either caused the circumstances in your life or he has allowed circumstances in your life. Remember Job? Job was living a good life, right? Had wealth, all those things, but God has allowed something to happen in his life. And Job continued to focus on the things of God. So, and in verse 34, we read that it's sufficient for the day's its own trouble. So God is saying, there is going to be trouble, right? He's saying there's sufficient trouble in today. If you go to Genesis 3.17, I want to point something out. It says, then Adam, he said, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I command to you, saying, you shall not eat of it, 
Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And some people say, what does that have anything to do with worry? Well, it's not necessarily worry, but I want to talk about trouble. God is kicking Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect there, had the perfect environment, delicious food and all so forth, and vegetarians, I guess. But then God is cursing the ground. Why is God cursing the ground? Now they have to work, they have to till, they have to farm, they have to weed and plow to get their food. Is that some sort of punishment God is instituting? No. It says, cursed is the ground for your sake. And you see, the worst thing that could happen to a sinful people is we live without any kind of trouble. We would never, never turn to God for anything then, right? We will start depending on our own selves, our own wisdom. We don't need God. Everything is perfect. But he says sufficient for the day its own trouble. And sufficient is the grace for today for those troubles. So the reason I say don't borrow trouble is because we read in Deuteronomy 33:25 says, And the sandals shall be your iron bronze, as your days, so shall your strength be. God doesn't give me strength today for tomorrow's problems. Sufficient is the day, if you look at verse 34, is its own trouble. Now, if you take the things that belong to tomorrow, and you worry about tomorrow, and you bring it in today, again, I'm not talking about wise, full planning and so forth. You can plan for those things. But I'm talking about something you're worried about, anxious thought. You reach out to tomorrow, and you bring it in today. You're borrowing trouble. You're going to find out that paying interest on that is very high. It makes it more difficult for you when you have sufficient problems for today and you take all those problems for tomorrow and you bring them all in, it becomes very difficult for you to see the blessings of God that he's given you today. And reading Lamentations uh, 3, 23, it says, For the Lord's mercies were not consumed because of his compassions fail not. His mercies are new every morning. God is only guaranteeing you today, not thinking about tomorrow. And what worry does is pull tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine, if you will. There's plenty of blessings if we really start thinking about them. Greatest blessings for me is my family. Think about that. It's not necessarily material wealth. You fail to see those things because your mind and your heart becomes preoccupied about all those things and you fail to see what's right in front of you. So it not only blinds us, but it also steals our strength. And God only gives us troubles, if you will, for today. He knows our frame. He knows what you can handle. So why are you doubling up? For example, in Psalm 103.14, he says, For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. We are made from dust. He knows our frame. Kind of like the Ford pickup trucks, made from dust. 
That's why Ford F-150, F-250, they tell you what kind of frame it has. That tells you how much weight you can put on it. So sometimes we overload our frame ourselves by worrying and bringing those things from tomorrow. And that's the reason there's so many wrecks on the highways because we overload the truck. We overload ourselves. So we don't borrow trouble. Trust in the Lord. Say to yourself, God is my father. God, you promised this. I'm trusting you. I'm relying on you. Help me. So when you feel the load rocking your knees, kneel down and pray. It's that simple. And someone said, well, you know, some of these things I'm concerned and worried about, it's, you know, it's kind of little stuff. I don't take little stuff to God. Folks, anything you bring to God is little stuff. Right? Even the big stuff is little to him. It's all little stuff. And we need to put our faith into practice, not just singing and recognizing and saying, make me a blessing for someone today. Well, go out and do it. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, it says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. In Isaiah 41.10, we read, I am, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So God is promising us. Not only he tells us not to worry about those things, but when you're having trouble experiencing things in your life, he says, I will give you strength. I will help you. You know, it kind of reminds me of a story of uh, my nephew fishing. Again, the kids were fishing. And he's wheeling this catfish in. And he's, you know, using all his strength and so forth. He can't get it in and all that stuff. And his dad looks at him and says, are you using all your strength? He says, yes, I am. He's like, no, you're not using all your strength. I am here. Ask for help. I can help you pull the fish in. Do you see that? He was not using all his strength because he's got his daddy standing next to him. And that's the way we are. We try to pull some things in that we can't, but we know the promises in the Bible says, ask for him and I will help you, I will agree. But we sometimes don't do it. We don't think God has enough strength to wheel that fish in. Prioritize. Again, don't borrow, don't reach out to tomorrow. There's enough trouble for today. Prioritize. Look at what's happening today. In Psalm 118, 24, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So hand our worries to God, as it says in Psalm 37, 5, says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So folks, what worry does is assumes God doesn't care, God doesn't know, and God doesn't have the resources to help me. But that's ridiculous. If you're a child of God and you look at his promises, he does care, he does know, he knows them before you even ask them. It's a matter of faith, folks. That's what it comes down to. That's why in the middle he says, oh, you little faith. And folks, again, we need to realize There is no promise in the Bible that God is going to make you rich or wealthy. 
or just because you give a thousand dollars, you're going to get ten thousand dollars in return. That's nowhere in the Bible, you know. That's prosperity. Gospel preaching, and they call it sowing the seed. Sow the seed, and it will multiply. I never, never in the Bible that that happens. And it's interesting, you know, kind of watched one of these people on TV. And he used pretty much all the same verses I used from last Sunday's sermon about wealth. But he perverted them and made it seem that that's what God's promising you, wealth. And if you're not wealthy, then you're not right with God. You have a little faith. So there's lots of that, but nowhere in the Bible does that tell you that. No promises that you're going to be like Job, Abraham, and Solomon. But what God does promise is he will take care of your necessities. He will give you strength to find a job, to earn a living, to provide the necessities for every day. So worry is needless, senseless, faithless, and it's really excuseless. And it speaks of our priorities in life. Again, look at verse 33. He tells them how to do it. How do you get worry out of your life? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. You seek his kingdom, his righteousness. And then what happens? All those things are added to you. And this is nothing new. Look at Psalm 37, 25. It says, I've been young and I've been old. Yet I have not seen the righteous seeking after his righteousness, forsaken, nor his descendants, what? Begging for bread. Not wealth. is talking about your necessities. Who are the righteous? It's his children. Put their faith in their father. You know, and the thing is, have you truly acknowledged him as your father, Jesus, Lord? of your life. That's where it all starts. So we need to check our priorities, where they lie, and are we just proclaiming things that are necessarily like true, yeah, God is love and all those things, but we don't put those into practice. All the great men in Bible that we see, all these heroes of faith, why they, we call them heroes of faith? Because they put their faith into practice, not just head knowledge, not just singing God is good, but relying on him. And folks, if you haven't made that decision, the Bible teaches us, it says, behold, today is the day of salvation. And I would encourage anyone who hasn't done that, that's the first thing that you'll need to do so you can call him father. And when you do, he will have an obligation to you as well. Let's pray.